you not seen that. My name is Wilson. I'm Charles. And I'm Carlson. Uh, this is a movie podcast where we discuss films that we have not seen before, but should have. Um, perhaps movies that we have been dishonest about seeing. Uh, holes in our filmography that we have been meaning to fill. This is our opportunity to fill them. Uh, Charles... Should, should's a strong word. Should? Yeah. <laughs> no, you should, you should watch every movie that we've done on this show. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Charles, it was your pick this week, um, and you selected... Uh, the Thin Red Line by Terrence Malick. Uh, tell us about it. Okay, so The Thin Red Line is a movie set in World War II. Uh, it's a much more artistic take on the war movie. Uh, it came out at the same time as Saving Private Ryan, so that's a very interesting comparison, but it's a much more artsy take on it. Um, you start out seeing uh, the character who, I guess you can call the main character, but you, it focuses on many, many characters, but this one you see the most. And he's um, gone AWOL and he's kind of interacting with the natives on one of um, the Solomon Islands, I presume. Um, but then he, he gets um, found again um, and brought back into service. Uh, he gets sent out to Guadalcanal um, where the U U.S. is fighting the Japanese in the Pacific theater of the war. And uh, they have a big operation to take a hill um, and they want to secure the airstrip that's on that island. Um, so as they advance in the island, they, f they find no resistance at first, um, but eventually they find the hill and the Japanese, um, encampment is, or the fortification is very well hidden and hard to find. And they just start getting gunned down from, it looks like out of nowhere. Uh, after a while, they finally discover where the Japanese emplacement is. They manage to flank it and take it out and overrun the entire hill. Um, and after that, they get a week's respite. They ponder the meaning of life, <laughs> uh, things like that. They observe, it's a, it's a observe nature. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then later, uh, they're patrolling along a river when they get ambushed by the Japanese uh, and the main character from earlier uh, volunteers to go and recon um, what's going on. Um, they end up finding a lot of Japanese troops rushing up on them. And in order to buy time for someone to send back a warning and have the troops retreat, the main character decides to stay back and sacrifice himself. Um, and um, the movie basically ends around there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, narratively, it's pretty straightforward. It's everything else that's weird. Um, I was surprised to pick this one. Uh, this yeah. Terrence Malick is like such an esoteric, you know, almost impressionist filmmaker. Uh, what do you think of it? I liked it a lot. Yeah? I thought it was okay. great. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to compare with Saving Private Ryan because I've seen that movie so many times that like my interaction with it's a bit different, my reaction to it's a bit different. But I wonder if I like this one more. Really? Yeah, it's like, it's like when I think about Saving Private Ryan, that's always a very emotional movie to watch because you see the horrors of war and you see the men mm -hmm. like sacrificing themselves for each other and all that, you know, like it always brings me a bit to tears. Sure. Um, but this one, like, it felt moving on maybe a deeper level. Um, it was a much more powerful, maybe like more effectively done uh, anti-war message sure. than Saving Private Ryan. And I think Saving Private Ryan's already a pretty effective anti-war message, um, but this one takes it to the next level. It really shows you, you know, the awfulness of the situation. Okay, um, I, yeah, I, I figured you'd be on one extreme or the other with this one. Yeah, <laughs> I could see how that would be because it's it's. A relatively strange movie, and it's also extremely long. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I picked it because 
I'd seen reviews of it when I was a kid and I was curious about it, but then I saw that it was a three hour long war movie and just <laughs> never like decided to pick it up. And you know, I, I really like war movies and World War II stuff. Sure. So I thought it'd be an interesting pick. Okay. Uh, and I'm very glad I watched it. Okay, I'm glad you liked it. That's good. What do you, what do you think, Rossman? Had you seen this before? No, I actually okay. never even heard of it. Really? Huh. Yeah, I don't wow. know how It was I nominated am. for Best Picture. Like, this was a big release. I don't remember that. Wow, okay. Like, at all. And I was, yeah, I remember Saving Private Ryan coming out. Same here? That, yeah. They were both beat up by Shakespeare in Love. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this one, I just never, I don't know how I avoided it. Okay. Had you seen any Malik? Um, probably. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. Oh. But, um. What do you think? I was bored by this yeah, film. Man, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, like it really didn't grab me. I, I thought there okay. was like some good stuff going on here, but um, it was a lot for it's two fifty for a little. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot of movies. <laughs> the, the most fun I had was just trying to predict which celebrity would be in the next <laughs> scene. Uh, it's a huge cast of people you know. It's like every '90s male actor. Yep, like who or like any actor very that nearly like the that isn't uh, yeah. in in Saving Private Ryan instead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like if I had to pick one of the two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Much. yeah. Um, you know, yeah. It's it, this is a epic. <laughs> like it's a big movie. It like, is epic. Yeah, it's a lot of people. A lot of film was film stock was spent uh, yeah. creating this movie. Um, and yeah, there's a lot going on here. I guess the initial cut was like five hours or something. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, well, the thing is, like, apparently, because uh, this is the first movie Malik made in like 20 years. He like mm -hmm. made two movies that got a lot of attention, yeah. a lot of praise, and then he just didn't make anything for 20 years. And he came back with this. He came in after principal photography under budget. <laughs> like he was, he, he shot Wait, it. After shooting like yeah. a million reels of extra footage. Shot it on time. He shot it in the... For the amount of money they said it was. On location. On location. Yep. He just did it. Like the, yeah. the long process. Or they shot it in Australia. But they did, they did go to they, the Psalm Islands. They they didn't, shot, yeah, they didn't shoot this in California. Yeah. Yeah. So they, and he like did the thing he said he was going to do. Yeah, the, the long process was like the post-production. Like the editing yeah. and like figuring out what, which three of the five hours you're going <laughs> to, you're, you're going to put in theaters. But yeah, like he, he did it. So good for him. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, I'm closer to Charles on this one. I like this movie. Um, oh, yeah, yeah I, I I don't know if I was quite as enthused. It's a it's a long movie. Yeah. Um, but I I'd, I'd seen uh, not every Malik, but I've seen uh, Badlands, Days of Heaven, uh, Night of Cups, Tree of Life, um, New World. So I've seen a fair number of his films. Yeah. So I kind of knew what I was getting into <laughs> when I said. Yeah, I'd never seen one. a Malik before. So like I've heard of his name obviously, but I have no idea what he represents or what this his is, style this is. This is a. a of accurate representation okay. of what you get from a Malick movie. Um, so if you like this, like go watch the rest of them. It's more of okay. more of this stuff. Um, but you know, I, I I thought this was effective. Like the the it, it's more uh, directed and like narrative than the movies he's made the last three or four years or more than mm -hmm. that, um, which is nice to see, frankly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought that I, I I enjoyed it for a lot of the, the same reasons you did. It's great to look at. Um, it's I, I thought that the like moral stakes of it, like when they're clearly defined, were effective. Like when yeah. when the um, Nick Nolte character is telling the I don't I don't remember the actor's name, but the officer to do the head-on charge, and he's yeah. refusing the order. Like was oh, it's um, was affecting for me. Like that, yeah. I, I thought that was a high point of the movie. Um, the uh, Jim Caviezel character, um, Caviezel, 
Cabezal. I don't know how to say his yeah. name. I've never known. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. When Jesus <laughs> Christ, when he find, when Jesus finds out his wife is leaving him, like that, that moment was really strong as well. Really, um, that seemed corny. That was a different was character. Like, oh, was it? Okay. See, yeah. The, yeah. Exactly. Like here's everybody, and like you kind of lose who is who um, in this whole. Uh, it is hard to mess. keep track of the which I think is intentional. Yeah, right. Like I think that that's by design. They start to blend in. Uh, oh. I noted, or I didn't know. I read that it's kind of a meta call, but like the higher up officers are more famous actors. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think I think that's an effective like choice. You immediately kind of see them as a higher officer in a way. Yeah, right. You recognize the actor more. There's Sean Penn. There's George Clooney. There's John Travolta. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Nick Dolte. Yeah. I think. Yeah. That. Whereas all the grunts, they start to blend in with each other. R- right. Even if some of them become notable actors, most of those were like, not notable at the Jared time. Jared Leto. Yeah. Uh, Jared Leto was, was pre. That was pre Fight Club. Jared Leto. He's yeah. the guy who he like gives some orders and just immediately dies. He gets oh. like two minutes of screen time. Yeah. Well, Woody Harrelson too, right? Like yeah. he, he was a little more known at this time, but like he has a good death scene and like that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's Woody Harrelson in this movie. Yeah. I mean, really, Mickey Rourke is in this film, but was cut out of it. And there's like okay. a couple other actors that were cut out. The big one and, was uh, Adrian Brody thought he was going to be the main character and didn't find out that he was mostly cut out of the movie until he watched the premiere of the movie <laughs> which yeah. like my god <laughs> and he's Jesus. barely like still salty about it that's uh, like, he gave, of... like a, I was reading on the wiki of the movie that he gave like a recent interview <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> was like still unhappy about man, it. I guess I kind of can't blame him. For yeah, that. I, I get it's it. It's a little messed up. That is yeah. also funny. <laughs> um, it is. But no, I found I found that breakup letter sequence. I, I thought it worked for me. Like I, that was. Yeah. Th- I thought that was good. Um. So that 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 worked well. Um. So yeah, I, I basically liked it. Um. I, what I like most about Malik in general, and it was true of this movie as well, is that he makes you talk about his cinematography, and he makes yeah. you talk about this movie not as literature but as cinema and as film mm-hmm. like it's impossible to discuss anything that he's made without talking about what it looks like mm-hmm. and what it what it uh, how it is uh, appears on screen like you can't you can't just describe the actions you can't just describe mm-hmm. the the dialogue or anything like that you right. have to you have to talk about the presentation of it cuz in, in a way he's great. he's u- utilizing the medium to its fullest yes. then Yes, I agree. Um, so, and, and that that that's why I think Malik really is one of the greats. Is that he is forcing people. If you wanted to talk about this movie, if you want to understand this movie, you have to understand it as cinema. Yeah, because you, you no have like way. the intercut scenes with nature. Yep. Right, and that's something you you can't really do in a book and have it be that effective. I think. Right, or or the the experience of it is just different. Right, like you yeah. can yeah. you can certainly write a book about like the conflict between man and nature, or like how we fit yeah. into the how, how nature like. It fights with itself and things like that. You can write about that, of course, but like you cannot communicate it in the way that he does here, and yeah. you can't talk about how he communicates it without talking about it as cinema, yeah. as, as a movie. Yeah, um, and I understand that the movie is very long, but I thought that the length of the movie was actually effective for me to get into the right headspace. Sure. Uh, I think that's the biggest advantage to having all these kind of strange like cutoff scenes mm-hmm. and like the scenes with the natives and you know all, all the in between scenes where it feels like nothing's happening. Yeah. Um, because they, they really establish the mood and the feeling and like, you know, put me in the right headspace to react properly to what's going on. And I thought yeah. that was extremely effective. It, it's probably what made the emotional impact of everything so strong. Yeah. I there were other favorite. descriptions in the wiki where that like the actors thought the camera was on them, but like Malik was like focusing on like a bird in the background. Yeah. Or like a lizard or something. Yeah. A crocodile. Yeah. I thought I was watching Planet Earth. It seems like an immense like troll on like all these actors. Like, <laughs> it, and it kind yeah. of was. Um, yeah. Especially because like he comes out with Badlands in the 70s and it's like this huge out of nowhere hit. 
he days of heaven same story like he, he makes it two years later and it and it, people love it and then he does nothing for 20 years well he apparently wrote this in 89 like the mm. producers came I mean, he was trying to get stuff made but he yeah. didn't actually get anything made yes, yeah. for 20 years yeah and like and then he says oh i'm uh, i'm gonna make this huge epic war movie of course that's catnip for all these guys right it's yeah. like oh this reclusive weirdo director that made exclusively huge prestigious hits once Wants me in his movie? Yes, yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, in the year when they're when Spielberg's doing the same thing, yes, okay, I will, I will do that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it, it probably did read that way for a lot of these guys. Yeah, and everybody wanted to be involved with it. Like yeah. they were in the wiki, they were talking about how like they were hosting readings at like Johnny Depp's house, and like <laughs> uh, there were just like every actor was like listed as being like potentially connected to a film. Yeah, and a lot of them evidently were. Yeah. <laughs> like the next yeah. film, um, so yeah, it, it, it makes perfect sense to me, and and that he really does do it right. Like yeah. he he made a great great movie, and he made a, a war film that didn't exist before it, and really hasn't existed since. Like this one kind of stands alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so so kudos to him. Yeah. Um, so one of the tropes or like the malachisms in this movie is the use of a lot of voiceover mm-hmm. that a lot of non-narrative voiceover so like the, the voiceover that he uses isn't telling you anything about like the action of the movie like yeah. it, it's a it's kind of a god's eye view even when it's in a character's voice yeah and it's in it, it, it's in language that these characters would never use right like it's it's this philosophical poetic kind of you know broad-ranging questions about the nature of our perception of nature <laughs> and and but there's elements of like civil war letters in it yes. too though mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that it's like this heightened yeah. kind of speech that yeah. you don't actually see coming from these people yeah um how do we feel about that like how did that um play for us like what how was that voiceover situated in this movie i feel like um it was hard to remember what was said over the course of the movie elements it was long and there was a lot of it so i want to go back and review some of them and i did a little bit and like you know there's some really good lines in there i think some of them are direct quotes from like actual poetry and actual writing um but you know they they forward the ideas and like feelings that he's trying to convey in the movie and i think they're pretty effective yeah it, it, it's hard to like even in the moment, it's hard to like take in what he's saying in those, which isn't a criticism. Like I think that he almost wants like the reading of these lines to play as music or something. That it's mm-hmm. almost something to be felt rather than understood. And then it's like a meta text. Yeah, it reminded me of <laughs> the books in Skyrim. <laughs> there's just books all over Skyrim you can pick them up and like, yeah. read them it's yeah, it's like, like, I felt that's what it felt like, it's like, what's like some other story that what is this yeah, yeah. but yeah. like they still tie directly to the main themes and messages yeah it's about like war and yeah like, they talk about like how you know we got corrupted and right why people are fighting and how awful it is and things like that right well and and how it, like is that corruption or is that conflict inherent in nature yeah or is it something that man is placing upon nature yeah are are we a part of nature or not um and i don't think i I think that malik is not interested in in answers to any of this stuff right Mm -hmm. like he is very much like a presenting really open-ended vague questions kind of guy um and i i think that this he, he rarely gives interviews he basically never talks about his films in a concrete way and i think that that is part and parcel with what he's doing in movies like this and kind of every movie he's made, period. Um, 
so yeah, I think that it worked for me here. Although I, again, if you were to ask me to say exactly what any of them were about, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, it was hard to like separate this from saving or com not compare it to saving private Ryan. It, it's it, impossible. It's begging yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me was that saving private Ryan is like a much more gruesome film. Whereas like this film in a lot of ways kind of goes out of its way to like not show some of the things that like saving mm -hmm. private Ryan did. Mm -hmm. Probably because like effects like that are very expensive, but I think it's more than just that. Yeah, yeah. But like when um, Woody Helson's dying, it was like very notable that they like don't show his injuries at all. They describe them in like very gruesome ways, but you never see it. Yeah, you never see it. And I was yeah. just, like the whole time just like waiting. They'll be like, ah. yeah, it's like there he is without him. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's yeah. a little bit of gore. They, they find like the dead they body shows stuff. Yeah, yeah, but, which feels yeah. almost. Pointed, right? Because like, yeah. so they established earlier in the film, like before Woody dies, like that they're willing to do it, right? Yeah. Like here, here's the gore. Like we have the ability yeah. to do it. That's what's surprising and, that they didn't show it, right? Yeah. And then like that they yeah. so point, pointedly don't show it with when Woody Harrelson is really having this very anguished death scene. Yeah. Um, and my sensation was not not only in that moment was I expecting to see it, I wanted to see it. Like I, yeah. I, I was you like, kind of do. Yeah, I thought that. Too, and that he pulls away from that. Like what it leaves you with as a member of the audience is, oh wait, why did I want to see that? Yeah. <laughs> why why yeah. was that my instinct? Why yeah. why is this something I'm seeking out? And because well, you're set up for that form in war movies, right? Right. Yeah. right. But it, the spectacle that yeah. that sets up the expectation of it. Yes. But it doesn't set up the desire of it. Yeah. The desire to see it as something else. Yeah. And like that, I think is what Malik is questioning in that moment, yeah. and it's really effective because that's literally the sensation of watching that. Not. It's not yeah. just the expectation; it's the actual want. Yeah. And it, you do kind of. It's tough to actually make an audience question their motivations. It's it's easy to like call to mind like, oh, here's something that you should be questioning. Sure. It's hard to actually make them do it. And he did it here. He actually did. I was like, after, yeah, like as I was as I was watching, I was like, oh wait, I shouldn't want to see that. Like yeah. that's bad. Like I, I shouldn't be ruffling in this yeah. in this violence. Another big comparison I made between the two is uh, Saving Private Ryan shows more like the abject horror of like open combat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like. Whereas this one's more of like the dread of what could happen and what could come up. Yeah. Uh, and the dread of uncertainty and not knowing when you're going to die, you know, that sort of thing. Because uh, if you compare like the landing scenes from the two movies, they both have, you know, soldiers crowded up in landers nervous to engage in combat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in Saving Private Ryan, it's the big climactic scene that every that is so famous for, right? They land, they start getting mowed down. Immediately. Have, yeah, and like yeah. there's loud explosions, there's big bunkers and machine guns. You know exactly where your enemy is and what's going on, right? But people are dying and it's horrible. Whereas in this one, they land, it's very quiet. They just like stroll up onto the beach. There's nobody there. And they're like, what is going on here, right? And then they kind of move through the island. You're worried when you could be attacked because it could be at any time, right? right? And they end up not even being able to see where their enemy is, and there's kind of a fear of the unknown there. Yeah, and and it's it's like a grueling hike. So like the the immediate danger isn't the enemy. It's not the Japanese. We don't see till like the halfway point in the movie, if not longer than that. The immediate enemy is the this this nature that they are they don't do not belong in, right? Like you should not. That what the movie is telling you is these people do not belong here. Yeah. Right, like this is not a space where you should be doing the thing that you're attempting to do. What we see before that is people existing in this nature harmoniously, mm -hmm. right? Like they do belong there. They are, right. they they are coming into it with with positive intentions, 
And I think that juxtaposition between the, the indigenous people that we see at the beginning of the film as opposed to the uh, US military that we see immediately afterwards is, is very poignant um, and, yeah. and, and effective. Um, so yeah, that was, that was well observed too. Yeah, and it was also interesting that at the start, the Japanese are kind of shown as inhuman, mm-hmm. kind of like in Saving Private Ryan. We the, didn't how really they... see them. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So like, it's the same in both movies where at the start, you don't really see the enemy too much. Yeah. But I feel like in The Thin Red Line, you get a much closer look at the enemy. You get much more intimate with them. Yeah. And it made it um, much more emotionally impactful to show how horrible it is for both ends. Yeah. Right? Like, your enemy, they're also, you know, having the same struggles as you. um, And both sides are just people, like, kind of thrown into the situation because of, you know, forces above them for kind of no reason, right? Yeah. Nick Nolte. Yeah. Right. Right. Which which I found, like, the the high point for me, which I mentioned earlier, is really that that sequence with Nick Nolte and the other actor whose name I don't Um, know. uh, (laughs) He's... Who, who looked very familiar. Uh, Alias Coteus. Sure. Uh, <laughs> he's in a bunch of cop shows. Right. That's yeah. what I think I recognize him from. Because yeah. uh, you're very clearly, like, Nick Nolte is the, the bad guy there, right? Like, if there's, any, if there's any, like, certainly nefarious figure in this movie, he is it. Mm-hmm. And what's great is that the good guy in this situation is the guy who wants to avoid fighting. Yeah. Right? Like, he, he, is, he is the one who, yeah. does not, who does not want to engage in combat, does not want to seek out glory. Um, similarly, at the end of the movie, the heroic action is to enable a retreat. Yeah. Right? It's to enable them to not fight. Yeah. Um, which is, again, not what you typically see in war movies, right? Like the, yeah. the heroic action becomes like. We're getting comparing to Save a Private Ryan. Right where I'm going here, right? Like that's, yeah. <laughs> you compare it to, to this, like, great, you know, American war film of the 90s, and it's all about, like, doing war more effectively. And what you see here is the good thing is avoiding war. Yeah. Right? Like avoiding combat, avoiding violence. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the heroic characters do that and the nefarious characters do not. Um, and I thought that was really uh, yeah. good. And that was set good. up well because they have the scene with Nick Nolte talking with John Travolta, who's his superior. Yeah. And John Travolta kind of like nudges him to like, you know, want to impress his superiors more in this upcoming mission. That mm-hmm. leads to his bloodthirstiness. Yeah. Um, so it's just like coming all the way down the chain, you know? right? Well, and he, he Nick Nolte states it when he's talking to the um, uh, guy that takes over for the why am I spacing? This is a known uh, John, John Cusack? Cusack. When he's yeah. talking to John oh, Cusack, okay. he says like, "Oh, I've been studying war at West Point for two decades. I haven't been able to, you know, actually experience it. Now here's finally my opportunity. Like I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity." And John Cusack looks at him like he's a fucking lunatic. Yeah. Because that's like an insane thing to say. Yeah. Right? Like that he's been looking forward to this. And yeah. th- that is that that is a, a good moment for me as well. Where, yeah. Whereas in Saving Private Ryan, I feel like Spielberg is kind of reveling in it. I feel like yeah. he is kind of... He's saluting the troops like really hard. Right, yeah. right. Well, not just saluting the troops. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly, yes, doing that. But also like, look at how cool this is. Mm-hmm. Right. Look at like look at how look at my great filmmaking here. Look at how great it is to be exerting this violence upon people. Yeah, that that was another big comparison I thought of between the two movies is in Saving Private Ryan. You know, all the big action moments are all like very heroic, mm-hmm. um, or they're making some sort of glorious sacrifice for their compatriots or whatever. Right. And here, like all the action just seems very like gruesome. But like even the the quote unquote hero moments like don't really feel that way. Yeah. 
uh, and they're not really rewarded or like looked up to. And in fact, they 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 get angry when like the the officers suggest that they should be rewarded for the heroic actions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nothing seems very glorious about what they're doing in this movie, and I thought that was very powerful. The, like the epilogue of both films is like very similar to, and like a good point of comparison because like the. Spielberg version is like you know the Matt Damon character is an old man he's seeing the grave of like Tom Hanks and mm -hmm. he's like it, oh, like in, in tears yeah good man and then in this one they they walk by the like very fresh graves mm -hmm. and they're all just kind of like silent and like staring at like all the yeah it's just like all the ghosts that they're looking at well in the future like, that they're looking at like this they could very easily have been them and it might very easily be them tomorrow right yeah and this also that that's like a place that they're never going to come back to that's like a forgotten yeah island somewhere in the it, Pacific, it, it, Pacific. Right, totally anonymous yeah so it's like you know the sort of like height of the glory of war versus like the the, the low of like yeah anonymity the, yeah. the useless anonymity of war right right and uh, the Another point of comparison, because there are so many here. Yeah. You have the um, the lawyer character who refuses Nick Nolte's order, um, is given a bunch of medals at the end of it, which he doesn't give a shit about, and he is telling his men afterwards that he was laid off, that he was fired essentially, and he's going home, and like you're you're primed for a man. I wish I could stay and fight with you guys. Man, I really wish that uh, I really want to get after <laughs> those Japs. I really want to you know like sing the praises of the United States of America and there's none of that there. It's just like actually I'm kinda of glad to be leaving. Like Yeah. yeah I mean like, he's honest. Yeah, like, this is exactly Truth. this really worked out for me. Like I this was terrible. I never want to come back here and I'm going to take complete advantage of leaving immediately. And it's like, yeah. And it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Right? Like of course he's gonna do that. And every anybody would. Right. And they, you'd be you'd be a fool not to. And and I thought that was that was really well done as well. So what you what you end up with juxtaposing this with Saving Private Ryan in the same year as Saving Private Ryan is that this becomes a, a movie not just about World War II and about the horrors of World War II. It becomes a movie about how we understand our war movies, yeah. which is perhaps more important because we have a lot of movies about World War II. And in that light, it's a fascinating film, a, a more important film than Saving Private Ryan um, and, and really a more artful film than Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Um, and, and, and probably the, the superior cinematic achievement. In, in most respects. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the most affecting moment for me, and maybe my favorite, uh, is when they finally charge the Japanese encampment, and when they're done, you see all the Japanese prisoners all mm -hmm. like coping with it in their own ways, right? You see one guy who's kind of meditating, you see one guy who's kind of going crazy, you see some people like crying over their fallen compatriots, and I thought that was very very affecting because of how similar they are to the main characters we've been following, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's always so heartbreaking to see them try to talk to each other and fail to communicate with each other. Um, but just to realize like the situation they've been placed into um, by under no control, like under no control of theirs. Yeah. Of theirs. Um, yeah. It, also it was, that it's like, it's shown to be kind of useless because like, the next day, the site's like bombed and they like yep. lose control over it. And yeah, yeah and that was weird because they show that was like shown out of order. They show the airstrip getting bombed yeah. and then they show the camp peaceful again right after. Yeah, I, I, I think it's out of order. I, I didn't think. understand that. Yeah, I think I think it's meant to be out of order. Yeah, I, I think yeah, the intent was to show that like their great victory was just like for not because mm -hmm. they lose control of it like the next day. 
Right. It's, yeah. Because it, it, this is all useless. Right. Which which is really what happened in yeah. the, the Pacific. Right. I, I yeah, was a lot trying to read up on it, and what what I got out of like the very short article that I read was that like in general the Allies were very effective at moving mm -hmm. through those those islands. Um, so that sort of like oh it's hopeless loss is like not totally correct, but I think it's effective for like. The mood of the, the movie, movie. yeah, yeah like, it, what the movie's like trying to show, it, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, it, and it does represent like the in a larger scale how war functions, right? Like, even well, if it's you showing are, like the small scale of right. war, not the like overarching, right? But it kind of like translates to the overarching right. really well, um, which I, mm -hmm. which yeah. I think is is good here. But it catch twenty two women made a similar move, right? Where it's yeah. like very explicit about how useless all these uh, missions that they're on are, and like just how how it's feeding into something that is well outside what they were being sold. And uh, it, it, it works here, too, on a more serious level. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then Nick Nolte character is good at illustrating that because at, at times in the movie, he's just like, all right, our mission is to go to that hill. And it's just like, okay. why? <laughs> yeah. why? Why are we doing this? You're right, which is when it comes to a head. Like, they, yeah. someone has actually asked him that question and he doesn't have a good yeah. answer. Um, and, yeah, but that... That works well. The, the other thing that was kind of surprising in reading about Guadalcanal was that the, the Japanese were like kind of surprised that the Allies like attacked these little islands. Hmm. Um, they had they were aware that the Allies were making a lot of movements in the Pacific, but they thought it was just to protect Australia after uh, Pearl Harbor got bombed. Mm -hmm. So they thought that they were putting everybody in place to kind of just like protect Australia, whereas like they were taken aback when suddenly like they started losing all these little islands. Are these the, yeah. there was an offensive? Yeah. Uh, target. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. that was, that was this, like interesting. The strategy like, worked. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, that, like, you're watching this movie and you know what this is leading up to is Hiroshima. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And Nagasaki. Like that's that's what they're fighting for is the to enable the American Empire to murder a bunch of civilians. <laughs> like that's that's the ultimate project here. And which just makes us feel all the more futile, right? Like and all the more um, trivial. And makes all the deaths weigh that much more heavily, um, I, I, I felt. Yeah. Uh, Did you find it hard to like track characters yes. in this yeah. film? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, I, I've got no idea. Like, you, they kept like appearing and disappearing and reappearing, and just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, feel like that's by design. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ridley Scott did something similar in Black Hawk Down, and he's like on record saying that he tried to do that. Like, he's obscuring actors' faces, like he's making yeah. making yeah. them interchangeable on purpose, and it works there. Some of them are so distinct, though, that it's, like, hard not to... Like, Adrian Brody has, like, a very specific look to him, yeah. so yeah. it's, like, easy to, like, track him in Yeah, scenes. especially... But it's confusing when he's in a scene and doesn't talk. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, and, oh, and he casts a bunch of dudes that really look a lot like one another. <laughs> like, you, you have yeah. the... Um, the, the lawyer character, you have the two, the one who lost his wife, who's, or whose wife left him, you have like the guy who's waxing philosophical all the time. Or like these guys all have a really similar kind of white male lead actor look to them. Yep. And that is, it, it, it's easy to confuse a lot of them. Um, that it doesn't actually impact, because like, this, this movie is so tangentially about the narrative, <laughs> like yeah. it, uh, that it kind of doesn't matter. Um, and and I, I think that. His point there that like here's a bunch of anonymous actors, is uh, well heard. 
And yeah, they're well, interchangeable. They're expendable. You know, it's the usual stuff. Just, just like for yeah, war just movies. Like this, I, it was interesting movie. to see how how much more they looked alike after they put the helmets on sure. uh, for the combat operation. Yeah. It was yeah. much easier to tell them apart when you could see their hair, obviously. Right. Um, but it was pretty striking, you know, how much they blended together once they were suited up for combat. Yeah. Um, we talked about it last week a little bit where, with um, Judge for Sierra Madre, and they didn't translate the Spanish for us. Um, and mm-hmm. we have more of it here. Like yeah. there, are, there are extended sequences where there is some, what appears to be relatively anguished Japanese. Yeah. Um, once this encampment or whatever it is is burned to the ground by the American soldiers, that we, and we get, we get none of it. We get none. Of, we get no translation. Yeah. No subtitles. There's nobody there that understands Japanese. It's just these guys talking to, the wind essentially. And yeah. That's what I mean. I mentioned it earlier. I made it feel all the more tragic to me yes. because there is no possibility of like a verbal de-escalation of the situation if anything it might make things like worse right because they can't communicate yeah well, and, and you assume you know having just done war against this guy that he's not saying anything nice yeah. Right? Like your, your assumptions about the, these people are the most negative. In, in Saving Private Ryan, doesn't the, the Nazi they capture, he just says like Mickey Mouse over and over yes. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does happen. You're right. <laughs> He's trying to convince him that he actually that, loves that, America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but I, I did why. read uh, the trivia section on IMDb and they have a few translations that I thought were really interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, so like right after they take the camp, one guy's like angrily yelling at them and he says basically something like, you know, you dirty bastard, you're going to end up dead eventually too. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, that's true. Probably. Uh, And at the end, the guy who's holding up the main character who sacrifices himself says, you're surrounded. Please put down the gun. I don't want to have to kill you. Oh, Okay. And I thought that was um, really interesting. To, that's to that's hear. good. That last one, especially like that's, yeah. that's interesting. Um, what a great shot that is. Yeah. Right. Like that. He has. He's like in this clearing, and like it's so green. Like it's just such a, a vibrant color that he has there, and you have these Japanese soldiers like slowly coming in around him. Like a, 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 in a movie with a lot of memorable moments, like that is. Yeah, uh, one of the most. and he, he got to live up to um, one of the voiceovers he had earlier because he talked about watching his mother die mm-hmm. and how he hoped to be able to meet his own death with that kind of calm. And he thought oh, yeah. maybe maybe immortality is that sort of calm acceptance of death, right? And he does find his peace there. He finds like a purpose that he's satisfied with, I guess. And yeah. then he meets his death very calmly, all things considered. Yeah, that's 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 well observed. I hadn't recalled that. That's good. I, I did have to I rewatched that line yeah. to, well, I to double check. So, yeah. so yeah. that helped me remember that. I, I had to rewatch it. That's good. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to talk about a bit of the music in this movie. Oh, right. Yeah, because you had that article. Zimmer. Yeah, no, you, uh, yeah I, I, share, I shared oh, an article about it, but I, I, okay. I'd read about... I, I like Hans Zimmer a lot, um, but... His piece for this one is called Journey to the Line. Uh, and this piece is like weirdly like the war piece for Hans Zimmer as a composer. Um, because after this movie, it's it's a kind of a, it sounds a lot like his theme from Inception, Time. Yes. Um, to and the point, yeah, yeah. And so like I saw Hans Zimmer play in concert and they started playing this piece and I'd never seen the Thin Red Line or heard the soundtrack, of course. So I was like, what is this, right? But then I thought it was like an improvised version of time because it sounded so similar. But then they obviously played the actual time piece right. later. So I was very confused. Yeah. But it, They both open with that same like ticking clock thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. got the ticking clock thing. But even the, the, the tune sounds like the same kind of yes. feeling, right? Um, but basically what this article said was that this piece, it kind of plagued Hans Zimmer in a way because it conveys like just the right series of emotions while still being open-ended. 
Um, and so people would, first of all, it's in a lot of trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, and second of all, people would insert it as sort of the substitute soundtrack before they had a soundtrack created for a movie. But a lot of the time they liked the feeling of this piece so much that they would either just use it yeah. or they would order the composer to compose something that sounds just like it. And that's and th- that ended up being how Hans Zimmer made so many pieces that had that yeah. similar sound, which I just think is so fascinating because it's such a defining sound because we talk about how Inception influenced soundtracks for movies like basically mm-hmm. since it came out, right? Which is true. And you can really trace that back to the Thin Red Line and this piece he wrote for it. And I think that's such a cool like piece of movie lineage. Um, and it, Sunshine also, the movie which we did earlier, also had a theme that was very similar to this, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but even funnier, I found an X-Men Days of Future Past right. trailer yes. that started with the sound uh, Sunshine theme and then ended with the Journey to the Line theme. So you combine them both and they're kind of seamless Yeah, <laughs> uh, in the same trailer, which was really, really funny. But it's a great piece. Uh, I think Time is a little better. Like I said, this feels like a slightly more generic template version mm-hmm. of Time. So he improved in his art and you know, props to that. But this is like the genesis of it. Yeah, I, I watched, because I read that article that you, you sent to us and they, they had the trailer for um, Pearl Harbor. Yeah. It just, it just plays it's, the song for two and a yeah. half minutes. I'm like, that's what like it, it works. Yeah, like, I was it, like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I remember, because I didn't know anything about this when I started watching this movie, but I did notice that ticking clock yeah. Uh, when the song started, and I was like, oh, this is just like Dunkirk was the connection yeah. that I made. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, here's a, yeah, okay, so it's a war movie with the clock soundtrack, and like yeah. there's a time thing going on. It's like, okay, I get it. Um, but yeah, hearing the larger context for it was, was interesting. Yeah, and another um, observation I made was after they take the Japanese encampment, yeah. um, and the camera kind of pans up to the sky, um, it, the soundtrack plays The Unanswered Question by Charles Ives, mm-hmm. which is like a contemporary classical piece that I happen to recognize, um, but it seems very impactful or meaningful in the situation because the the song is, it's a pretty short piece. It's very modern, so it's like kind of dissonant and strange, um, but it's basically like some people asking like the question of existence to the universe and getting an incomprehensible answer back. It's Malik's whole thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And so basically the whole point of this movie is like, you know, asking for your place in the universe and like, what's the point of all this? Yeah. And just like not getting a satisfactory answer. And I thought that was a, it was a very effective choice. Yeah. I, I totally missed that. But yeah, you're probably, he did that on purpose. There's no oh, way yeah. that he accidentally did that. Yeah. That's totally intentional. Um, he, he act, it, it seems like he acts, because he's been asking that question for a, for a long time. And he did it most pointedly in Tree of Life, which was the last movie that he had that anybody liked. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, I, and I did like it. Um, and the, the premise is that he, it starts with, it almost starts like 2001, where it's like the beginning of time, essentially, and like the beginning of life and all that. And it goes up to this like suburban family who loses their son. Like they're, they're his young, the young son dies in a car crash. It's like a freak thing. Um, and the movie seems to be acting, asking like, if all of this effort was put forward to like get to this point just for this kid to die tragically and like for these people to experience the sadness like what what is what is the point of that like why bother <laughs> having That's having uh existence at all if all it leads to is like this great sorrow um and like again he doesn't have a firm answer to that question <laughs> um, but he, he does present it and it seems like he's doing that same thing here now like yeah. like what do we open with in this movie it's like scenes of nature we have this crocodile right like that and if all it's leading up to is this absurd conflict with just people suffering for, for yeah. no reason, 
Like why? Why, why have existence if it's if, if, it, if it's just going to lead up to this? Um, so yeah, I think you're exa you're exactly right that that's really like what Malik has been asking his whole career. I mean, like his first movie, like the ones that made him famous, Badlands, is about uh, serial killers, mm. right? And and it like never really gives you a clear answer, like why they're killing a bunch of people, right? Like it's just they're, they're just doing it. They're just doing it. And I think that he's kind of been you know preoccupied with this for. Uh, decades, decades, and decades, and I don't think he's going to find an answer. I think he will be unsatisfied. Uh, I, I was shocked uh, with a George Clooney bomb at the end of the <laughs> yeah. film. Actually, I didn't know he was in the movie because <laughs> there's too many names on the poster. <laughs> yeah. um, but I see him from behind, and I see that grayish hair, and I'm like, wait, is this going to be George Clooney? It sure yeah. Is. yeah, I had no and idea. His voice is like so distinct that like, that's true. I probably recognize voice. his voice. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's just pure Clooney, right? Like, he's he's not doing a character here. He's yeah. just being George Clooney um, and given his orders as the, yeah. the new Nick Nolte. Of, of he just Freddy. walked up while filming Batman, did a scene, walked up. <laughs> Maybe? <laughs> yeah, like, who the hell knows? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, this, same thing with Travolta at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it's like, that was oh, distracting. There's yeah. Count Travolta, like, looking very Talking unhealthy. Nick Nolte. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that scene was interesting, though, because, like, Nolte at the beginning is, like, very stoic. And, like, and, differential. Yeah, yeah, and then when you well, see he's him talking the, to Superior, yeah, on the battlefield, he's just a wild man and uh, just bloodthirsty. Yeah, suicidal. Yeah, yeah, to, or the yeah. suicidal of other people anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I think to speak to like the the craven, you know, nature of this character, just what a what a you know, just psycho. psychophantic kind of psychopath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any uh, any closing thoughts on uh, Thin Red Line? I almost said saving red line. Saving red line. <laughs> cut myself. So we should cut them together. Because yeah. this is what's happening on either side. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. Here's your you know, six-hour movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but any last thoughts uh, that we haven't talked uh, about? I'm just pleasantly surprised by how much I liked it. I'm it glad, was a fantastic experience. I'm really glad you liked it. I I, I remember you picking it, and, and I thought to myself, like, all right, this is a, a Terrence Malick movie. They're, like, esoteric and weird. They, yeah. I mean, like, I think it helps plotting. that um, I go in with a handicap because it's a World War II movie. Sure. I kind of go in wanting to enjoy. Right. right. I mean, I go in every movie wanted to die. But um, so yeah. I, I'm just very I'm nudge more in that direction to start. Right. You know, so the theme is big for me. So yeah, I'm glad. That you, I'm really glad you liked it. I hope you watch more Malik because I hope this other one's sliding too. I I think the message is good. And, yes. Uh, I I think it shot well. I was just not gripped by this movie. It doesn't yeah. seem I like your your bag at all. Like yeah. it doesn't seem like your thing, which is fine. Like that nobody's going to like every movie. I'm like that's that's okay. Yeah. Um I still like Malik. Um I'll still watch his his I'm really looking forward to his new one. Um the, the Hidden Life, the one about the the guy in Nazi Germany that just like refuses to join the party and like is troubled by like what he should do when his country is doing evil and things like that. It looks mm -hmm. phenomenal. Trailer's been all over the place. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's his next one, which I think is just in December. It's coming right around the corner. So I'm gonna be first in line for that one. Uh, but yeah, I like this one too. I'm glad I finally saw it. I've been meaning to. Um, in any event, we'll be back in a moment with uh, things we've seen. Stay tuned. And we're back with things we've seen. This is a section where we talk about other things we've seen recently outside of the context of this podcast, whether it be in theaters or at home or otherwise. Uh, Crossman, what have you seen lately? So I, I tracked down a movie I've been trying to see for a while. Um, it's an older anime called Vampire Hunter D. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, I remember the show. Yeah. <laughs> Vampire Hunter D is a wacky movie. It's a serious movie. Um, it, it's very violent. 
Hmm. Um, our main character, the vampire hunter, <laughs> um, exists in a post-apocalyptic world where it's kind of like a western barren landscape and there are villages of humans and then there are um, like a, a elite group of vampires who kind of prey on, on humans and elite in like a class sense that they like live in castles and mm -hmm. very classic vampires right yeah 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 it, yeah yeah um but what's cool about the film is because it's post post-apocalyptic they're kind of like traveling through like a ruined landscape so they're like very striking visuals where mm -hmm. they're like on horseback and in the background there's like all these like satellite dishes that are just like rotting and like rusting and it's like a very cool like visual um this film is very wacky um usually in its characterizations of people so d our main character is like very serious and he's very similar to blade i think like blade actually like shares a lot with this film mm -hmm. But he has a sidekick, um, which is an old man's face in his left hand. What? And the old man's face. It's an anime. Kind of <laughs> like, uh, like ribs him on, on stuff. And he, um, the face also, which I think is just called left or left hand or something, um, is able to like sense things. So he can like put his hand on things and the old man will like tell him things about like what it sees or like what it senses. Um, there's also a, uh, so D is like doing this all for money. He's just like hunting vampires for money because people like hire him to like save their relatives or get exact revenge on the vampires. Um, so there's a competing group of bounty hunters. And I guess this universe sort of like suggests that there's like a, a lot, lot of, of like bounty yeah. hunters, but there's mm -hmm. a sort of like bounty hunter team and they're sort of this like somewhat comical like group that is always like sort of like arriving to the same locations that D is and they're like on the same job and like competing with him. And each of them is like very, has like very exaggerated features. So there's like one really big guy and he has a hammer and there's like one skinny guy and he like has a crossbow. Um, and then there's a woman that's with them and she's like in the technology. Um, so um, what's cool about the film is just it's kind of like mix of genres where it's like mm -hmm. very gothic at times but it's like futuristic so there's like like there's like a castle and then like part of the castle like takes off into a rocket and it's like <laughs> this like very gothic like ornate rocket <laughs> that's um, cool yeah and like there's that. like a lot of really cool <clears throat> visuals like at one point later in the film like um there's uh a, a character that gets like killed by a vampire and in the same room there's like on like on like a raised platform there's like a, a like a desiccated like vampire body and the blood of the character that got killed like runs across the floor and then like runs upstairs and then like the <laughs> body is like absorbing the blood and then is able to like reform itself into a vampire so there's a lot of like cool like weird and weird and mm -hmm. kind of gruesome visuals um it's hard to describe the plot but it's like straightforward but also like kind of kooky at the same time it's, it's like an anime. 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 yeah yeah um i've heard that the sequel to the this film is much better than this one and that this one's kind of by the numbers like anime and that the sequel is actually like more, more. more interesting so i'll probably watch that soon these are hard films to get a, a hand of i, I had mm. to stream it um 
in, from like a weird service because they're, they're not available for streaming anywhere. Had to do terrible things to work yeah. for somebody. <laughs> um, but it was cool. I, I would I would recommend it. Um, yeah, I remember I had friends in middle school that were super into this. Like, because there, oh, yeah. there's like a franchise here. And I think there's like a lot of there's vampire at least two hunter movies. Yeah, I think there's more shit than that. Because in my recollection, anyway. Because so yeah. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Like I never sat down and watched mm-hmm. it because it was uh-huh. never my bag. Um, but yeah, I associate this very strongly with like freshman year of high school and and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but evidently it was more accessible then. But um, it's so that it's odd to me that you had a hard time finding it. Like that's where that yeah that that's surprising. Yeah, um, it's just like not available anyway. Okay, I think the rights. I don't know. I guess there's no like American rights for it. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah. So this is a tangent, I suppose. But uh, Studio Ghibli is HBO now. Yeah, they dropped what I would assume to be a buttload of money. Yes, I love that. Literally Ghibli. on the same day on the front page of the movie yeah. subreddit was a post that said Ghibli will never be on streaming services. <laughs> And then, like, literally two <laughs> posts above it, Ghibli now will be available on HBO Max. Yeah, and it's like, great. I, I think it's supposed to be, like, early next year when that finally shows up. But I hope that's a sign of things to come. Because there is a lot of good anime out there that yeah. is tough to track yeah. down. And uh, getting um, Evangelion on Netflix, now Ghibli on HBO. Apparently there is some place where you can find it. I, I think there would be a coup to get these films. Yeah, I, I, I think that there's a lot of nostalgia value. Uh, for some people, and apparently probably just film value for people oh, that yeah. haven't seen them. Yeah, they're good, oh. and they're very different from the like cartoonish uh, anime that you get on some adult swim shows. Yeah, like these are very violent films, and they're for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to see that in this form. Yeah, well, and so. even some of the adult swim stuff that was more adult fo- focused, um, it's it's tough to pet track down now, right? Like if you want to. <laughs> Like, I'm not sure where you would find Paranoia Agent, which was a Cowboy Bebop, I think you have to buy. That's uh, on Hulu. Oh, it is? Yes. Well, I got to get on it. <laughs> well, I've seen it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's on Hulu. Um, so not all of it, but like, so, like uh, I, I'm not sure where you'd find stuff like Serial Experiment Lane, things like that. Yeah. Um, the, 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 there's an audience for this um, more adult anime. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, I saw a movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, I saw uh, no, no Rabbit uh, this weekend, which is the new Taika Waititi. I'm curious about that. Movie. Yeah, I, it, was it good? Okay, well yeah. let, let's set up the, the the premise for those that aren't familiar. Um, so it takes place a few months before the fall of Berlin in in World War II. The premise is our, our main character is a, a Hitler youth. He's like 11 years old. Um, he's at Nazi day camp, <laughs> essentially. Um, he. Uh, is a full believer. Like he is a Nazi. He thinks that Hitler is the greatest. Um, he so much so that Hitler is his imaginary friend. Um, so he will have moments when he has to, you know, be by himself or whatever, have a moment away from his friends, and like Hitler will show up <laughs> in the movie, and he'll like, you know, give him a, a rousing speech about how he just needs to try his best or whatever. And Hitler is played by by Taika Waititi. Um, Unfortunately, one of the rousing speeches that Hitler gives to this kid eventually uh, motivates him to grab a grenade from one of the um, Sam Rockwell, who's playing like the head Nazi at this Nazi youth day camp, and run away with it and throw it and demonstrate that he can, you know, use arms, but he can't. So he injures himself and is kicked out of Nazi day camp and has to to go home um, to live with his mother. Um, His father's out of the picture. While this is, I'm going to spoil like the first 30 minutes. Um, so while he's at home, he discovers that his mother is hiding a young Jewish girl in their home. Um, and the, the, the story unfolds from there. 
Yeah. Um, that I, was in a trailer I saw before Parasite. Oh, was yeah. it in the trailer? Yeah, it wasn't an earlier yes. trailer. I didn't know. I did not know going in that oh, that's where okay. it was going. Yeah, um, I, I, I saw it in the trailer. So okay, yeah. so what, not a spoiler yeah. that. It's in the trailer. Um, I loved this movie. I yeah. absolutely oh, okay. adored it. I thought it was it was heartfelt. It was earnest. It was funny. It was really funny. The performances were great, especially from the lead kid. Uh, one of the better Scarlett Johansson performances that I've seen in a while. She plays the mom. Um, Thomas and McKenzie really takes the cake here. She was in... Uh, the Witch. No, that was um, Annie Taylor-Joy. Thompson was her character's name, I think. Thompson was oh, her character's right, right. <laughs> name. Yes, yeah, was right, her character's right. name. I thought the um, same thing. Yeah, so. Thompson McKenzie was in Leave No Trace, which came out last year. She was great in that. Same yeah. person that discovered Jennifer Lawrence. Um, she plays the the, the Jewish girl. Um, he, he, like, it, Tyke has been trying to get this movie made for like a decade. He was watching. He was walking on a fucking knife's edge <laughs> this this entire time, mm-hmm. and he he threads that needle. He always makes sure every joke is pointed exactly where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. The Nazis are funny, and their characters in this movie, but they're always displayed as incorrect. They're always mm-hmm. displayed, they're, they're they're always the butt of the joke. the The arc of this character is moving away from Nazism. It is not about finding how both sides are correct. It's about how finding that this side is wrong, and then moving away from this side is is the correct move and an act towards love and acceptance. Uh, it, it's moving. It is heartfelt. I'm sure people cried in the theater when I was there and really, really funny the entire time. Um, really clear uh, Wes Anderson influence um, in this movie, which I think you saw in some um, yeah. type of movies before, but it's more clear in this one, including not just in the, the fact that he you know, yeah. cast a young child, but like the framing of it, like you have some it's, Wes Anderson. It's Nazi Rushmore. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the, the best one I heard was... Um, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Which That's was good. pretty good. Um, but it, it, and it, but for me, like it's almost just more earnest and more uh, meaningful and powerful than a lot of what Wes Anderson has done. I really, really liked this movie. Um, I think that, that it's a very easy recommend for me. Great. I, I, I loved it. That's good to hear. Yeah, because I've heard some little apprehension around. The film. No, yeah. I didn't. They, they, they even have a moment near the end of the film where, like, the, this Nazi like has a, a a moment that that like gets the kid out of it, like he's about to be, you know, like the the Americans are going to take him away or something, and the Sam Rockwell character like kind of saves him, and the next thing that happens to the Sam, Sam Rockwell character is that he's killed, and the movie plays that as exactly what should happen, right? Like this is the correct thing that should happen to this guy. It doesn't matter that he did this one nice thing. He's a Nazi. We should kill him, mm-hmm. and. It, it, and 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 take it nails us just right. Um, so yeah, this was a hard hard movie to make. I totally understand why, why the studios were afraid of this one, um, but I think he absolutely nailed it. Like I think it was mm-hmm. really really good. I mean, he his like comedy clout is very high now. Yep, um, higher after this one yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Because <laughs> what we do in the shadows, the show which mm-hmm. has been out, which he's been very heavily involved with, uh, directing and producing, is hilarious, mm-hmm. and that the movie was pretty funny too uh the thor movie was very yeah, it was great probably the funniest marvel movie <laughs> definitely yes yeah <laughs> yeah um so he's like really putting up putting up some he hasn't comedy, missed. comedy numbers he has not missed yeah like they've all been hits the, the one with sam neill uh hunt for the wilder people great mm-hmm. yeah. like he 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 is required viewing at this point as far as i'm concerned like you just mm-hmm. have to see everything that he makes nice um and and, and this is is on the list i i loved i loved this movie okay. so yeah go check it out cool um what do you see charles uh, I got something that's a little bit different, but I went and saw Metallica SNM two. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, and that stands for Symphony and Metal, um, but basically is the 20th anniversary. No, it <laughs> in this case, it in this case it does. But I think they're going for some pun there. Um, but basically, it's the really? 20th anniversary of the first Symphony and Metal concert that they did. Is this but an they, album? Or a... uh, they did a concert a while ago with the San Francisco Symphony, oh, where okay, they incorporated the um, orchestra with their songs. Sure. Okay. Um, uh, they did it with Michael Kamen. Uh, this is the 20th anniversary of that, but they also did it to open the new Chase Center, the new Warriors Stadium in San oh, Francisco. Sure. Um, and so it was a big deal. Um, I couldn't get tickets to it, obviously, and it was, it'd be hard to fly back to San Francisco, but <laughs> they showed it in a bunch of theaters nationwide. Um, basically, I mean, it's just like the concert on screen and like, you know, edited footage and all sure. that. But um, I thought it was a great experience. I liked the concert. Um, the music is very well done. Uh, now, I, I thought that they played too many new songs, which is a common problem with um, these <laughs> kinds of these bands. bands. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they played too many new songs. It was basically the entire first half. Um, but I felt like the orchestral arrangements made the new songs more interesting than they, nor than they normally would be because it lends a kind of more epic air to these sure. songs. Um, and so that was really cool. Um, I thought it was pretty well edited. You could see all the action, right? And the sound was pretty well balanced as well so that it might have sounded better than actually being there because if you're actually at a concert, a lot of the time it's too loud and a lot of the music will blend together. Well, and you're in a basketball stadium. It's like all echoey and... It, yeah. Yeah, it like, gets like muddy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so in this case, you know, they kind of, they have the different tracks and they balance <laughs> it out. Um, the bass has a nice thump to it. Yeah. It was still sufficiently loud to feel like you're in a concert, right? Um, so all in all, it was a great experience. Um, got to, you know, see the concert without having to fly across the country and pay $2,000 for a ticket or whatever. Really? They they were they were going for a lot because there was only two <laughs> yeah. nights and people from all the all across the world were were going. Yeah, to they, they, it's just so off. Uh, I mean, Metallica is pretty outside my taste, which is fine. That's my taste. So yeah. it's always like surprising to me that they have, they still have this like yeah. I mean, they're they're a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, and like the pairing of metal and and classical music makes a lot of sense, right? Like, yeah. Once you think about it for more than a second, like it it is perfectly reasonable that these both like really. These these forms that are very concerned with technical acumen yeah. and like precision, yeah. um, of course they go together, right? And, yeah, of course. And, and like calling attention to that is is neat. Like that's cool. Yeah, although it was kind of funny because like we value the virtuosity of like the lead guitarists of metal bands a lot. Yeah. But you see this orchestra where there's you know what twenty or twenty five people playing violin and they all do these moves that are just like a guitar solo. Yeah. And they all rock it, right? Yeah. And there's so many of these classical musicians out there who are so skilled at what they do. Yeah. Um, what was also cool was um, they had a section in the middle where they had the orchestra come out and play some like classical pieces. Okay. Um, so they played one that was inspired by the Scythians, who were like kind of a Mongol like. Uh, like horse people hoard sure. and so they thought it would kind of fit in with a the metal theme and that was pretty cool but they also played another one that was like a futurist piece called the Iron Foundry it was made to sound like machinery mm. and they had Metallica come out and add their sound to the classical piece so kind of a reverse of what sure. the rest of the show was and that was a really cool thing too that's something that the first concert didn't do mm -hmm. um, and I like that a lot cool. where the screen? where'd you say it? Uh, it was playing at a bunch of theaters. I saw oh. it at uh, the Sinopolis, Chelsea. Oh, okay. Um, but a lot of theaters were screening it, actually. So yeah. it must have been pretty popular. The, the concert movie is kind of a lost 
form. Yes. It feels like I, it was like big in the nineties. Like I remember, mm. like Scorsese made one. Yeah, my friend had a, like a Rage Against the Machine concert nice. movie that we watched, and it was like really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. like we yeah. don't have that many like yeah. arena rock bands anymore. Yeah, right. Like it, the the people that are packing arenas are Taylor Swift. Yeah. yeah, right. And like I think that she does release like concert footage, but it's not. Yeah, well, I mean, every once in a while you go to the theater and they have, like, the ad before where they have, like, the... the Like the Fathom events. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, the Fathom events stuff where you can see the opera or musicals or plays in the theater. Yeah. Um, That's probably a good thing to take advantage of. Maybe a little less important when you're in New York City and Broadway's right there. But, like, it might be easier to get tickets and and be cheaper. Almost certainly. It's an an option. Yeah. Um, Yeah, There's just something about, like, a rock show that it's, like, there's always, like, an element of, like, unpredictability or just, like... What they say or what they play is like. Yeah, there's always I, like a potential for like something. Yeah. Whereas, whereas and, if you do go to like a pop artist, like it's pretty regimented. Like yeah, yeah they just like hit play on the there's the drum machine and yeah. yeah, it's like they have their dance choreographed and like it. That's good and that's it's artistic, it's creative, it's difficult, but it's a different beast. Yeah. 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 yeah there's something unique about a rock show. Where it's yeah. Just like, yeah, and it like, it seemed like they like edited together yeah. footage from both nights because there's one part where they say like this is the second night we're doing this right. Okay. They never announced like which night that they were showing yeah so they must have edited footage from both to get the best possible cut yeah, and that's pretty standard practice for that yeah, kind of thing so. i think yeah yeah uh, metallica has done this before too because um i watched their movie through the never from a few years ago uh-huh. and that's essentially also a concert uh in a movie but that one was a little more artsy about it because they hired dane DeHaan to be the quote-unquote lead character okay um basically he's like their like roadie tech and he has to go out and get something for the concert, right? And they're playing the concert on stage in like Vancouver or something. But like supernatural metal stuff starts happening to him <laughs> while he's out sure. on this quest. And he starts seeing like flaming horsemen and like there's a riot out on the streets and stuff. So it's so, a little more like conceptual, but it's still fitting in with the music of this concert that's happening. And that was pretty cool. That's, too. that's all very metal. Have you yeah. seen heavy metal? Uh, what is that. It's like an animated film, and all the soundtrack is like oh. kind of eighties rock and metal. Well, they made bands. a bunch of magazines out of it too, right? Wasn't it? A that sounds it was, familiar. It's based on a pulp magazine. Yeah, they just like took stories from the. It's a bunch of animated shorts that are kind of cut into this like rock. You would know it if you saw it. It's a very distinct okay. Book. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I've and heard this, of it, and that sounds like something I need to see. There's yeah. a South Park episode that references <laughs> reference it very heavily, but the the individual stories are nonsense. They're just like pulp. <laughs> like sci-fi stories that like is oriented for like teen boys sure um but it's cool because like van halen does a scene and like yeah. there's an aussie thing and i i like that i, I think metallica might be on it but i might it's be the wrong. same era that would make yeah. sense yeah um and people have talked about kind of like making a new version of it, which i'm not sure that they should do but like the original one is cool from like a stylistic mm-hmm. choice just because it's so strange. Yeah, yeah that's not pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah. specific. Like it's very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. So thumbs up for the. Metallica. Yeah, I mean, if I mean, you got to be a Metallica, like Metallica fan, obviously, but other, okay. I would highly recommend it if you are. Okay, right on. Uh, what's up next, Crossman? What's your pick? Um, I have not seen uh, the Hustler, the Paul oh, Newman I film. Love that movie. Thank you for picking that. <laughs> so not I love the not Hustlers. Hustlers. Not, not Hustlers. hustlers. Yeah. The Hustler. Mm-hmm. This is a fantastic movie. This is a, this is a great pick. All right, cool. Um, well, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, if you're liking the show, please comment, like, uh, should subscribe. Um, it really does make a difference. Tell people about it. That makes a difference, too. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Facebook. 
Um, and we appreciate you listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with The Hustler. See you then.